All praise is due to Allah and may Allah raise the rank of Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him and protect his nation from that which he fears for them. Dear brothers and sisters in Islam, let us first have the proper intention in our hearts to attend the lesson for the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let us have the intention of i'tikaf in the mosque as long as we are in it. We are still talking about the obligatory knowledge and we reached the chapters of the sins to talk about the sins of the heart, the sins of the tongue, the sins of the eyes, the sins of the ears, the sins of the hands. And we are up to the sins of the private parts and the sins of the foot. One would learn about sinning so he can avoid falling into that sin. Otherwise, the one who is unaware of something is most likely to fall into it. That's why one of the scholars said, I've learned about evil not to commit it, rather to stay away from it. Because the one who is unaware of evil is more likely to fall into it. We talk about the sins of the private parts. Allah Ta'ala said in the Qur'an, وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ لِفُرُوجِهِمْ حَافِظُونَ إِلَّا عَلَىٰ أَزْوَاجِهِمْ أَوْ مَا مَلَكَتْ أَيْمَانُهُمْ فَإِنَّهُمْ غَيْرُ مَلُومِينَ فَمَنِ ابْتَغَى وَرَاءَ ذَلِكَ فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْعَادُونَ Those who guard their private parts, from falling into sins. They do not commit sins by their private parts. Because the one who commits the sins of the private parts and will talk about the worst sin of it, which is fornication and adultery, it comes in rank in the third rank, after blasphemy and killing a Muslim unjustly. Then fornication and adultery in the third rank. This is to give you an idea that where it is located in that rank of sins. Blasphemy first, that's the worst type of sin a person may fall into then killing a Muslim unjustly, then fornication and adultery. It comes in the third rank. And the Prophet ﷺ warned in many hadith against fornication and adultery. Now, in English we usually use these two words, fornication and adultery, because in English they understand something from that. Because they refer to fornication as before marriage and adultery as after marriage. However, in Arabic, we use the term zina and that term zina, it covers both. So whether it is before marriage or after marriage, this is called zina. And that's one of the 
enormous sins, one of the major sins. Allah Ta'ala said, وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا الزِّنَا إِنَّهُ كَانَ فَاحِشَةً وَسَاءَ سَبِيلًا Do not commit zina. It's an enormous abhorrent sin. And it's a bad pathway. And the scholars mentioned that the worst type of zina is that that is conducted with non-marriageable ladies. Like if one were to commit zina with his mother, with his sister, with his aunt, that is more severe than other kinds of zina. Also the Prophet ﷺ mentioned committing zina with one's neighbor's wife. That is even worse than committing zina with other than one's neighbor's wife. Because that neighbor has rised upon you as a neighbor. So you are entrusted as a neighbor to look after your neighbor. Not to take advantage when he is away. So you commit zina with his wife. Billah. The Prophet وسلم, said in a hadith, Alham al-mawt. Alham al-mawt. Alham is the relative, any of the relatives of the husband. They call him Hamu in Arabic. What did the Prophet call him? Al-Mawt, death. What does the Prophet mean by this? There is a grievous and dangerous case that could be involved with that relative of the husband. Because usually if someone were to visit his brother, if he goes into the house, even if his brother is not there, only his wife, people usually would not see this as a strange matter. So he can go inside and outside, and they wouldn't give any attention. They say, yeah, that's his brother. Or his nephew, for instance. They say, that's his nephew. But this grievous situation could lead to one committing fornication with his brother's wife or with his uncle's wife. And that happened. It was mentioned in the past there was an area where a person used to send with his nephew, he had a shop and he used to send with his nephew some goods and stuff to his wife. That means she's his uncle's wife. So he would say, take this stuff to my wife. He would take him. So anyone would look, yeah, that's his nephew, that's his nephew. Until one day, the owner of that shop started becoming suspicious about the situation. So he sent the stuff with him as usual, and he took long. So he followed him. 
to the house and unfortunately he saw his nephew sleeping with his wife. He became so upset, he divorced his wife and he chopped off the E of his nephew. So he can be identified. So anyone in that region would keep on looking with shame at this person for what he did. That's why the Prophet warned against this matter. I remember once as well, someone called me and he was extremely upset. And he told me his story. And this is for you to be aware of these situations. He's married and he worked hard to bring his brother from Lebanon. He brought his brother from Lebanon and he used to work very hard here. But in the house, it's only him, his brother and his wife. Every day in the morning, he would wake up, leave the house, go to work, leaving at home who, his brother and his wife. This is haram. This is called khalwa. And the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that the devil will be the third person with him. Don't say, yeah, but uh, would he think of the wife of his brother? Yeah, the devil, as I told you before, would decorate the sin for one. Until one day he said, I came home, I didn't find my wife. I didn't find my brother. I started calling, calling, then she answered, and she said to him, I'm in Brisbane. I don't want you anymore. I want your brother. I never loved you, and so on and so on from all these words. She left him in a haram way, and she went with his brother, That's why the Prophet warned against these situations. So you have to be warned and aware of not being involved in such a situation. When you know there is khalwa, stay away from that. Stay away from khalwa, being alone. And you know, you've heard about many situations. One of the doctors was exposed on news in the past. He was a doctor. And what do they say about the doctor? They say he gave an oath. When they graduate and they get registered, they make an oath. He gave that oath. His wife became suspicious about him as well. And she hired a private detective to monitor him closely. And as you say, she busted him once. And he was with a girl. And she goes inside as a patient. Well, he does what he does. So do not say he gave an oath and the like. Khalwa is haram. Khalwa is the gate for zina. Khalwa is the gate of zina because usually a person in public places wouldn't dare to do something like this. When he is with a lady by themselves in a place, secluded from people, isolated, that's when the devil starts whispering to them to make them fall into that sin. You have to be 
cautious and warned. Do not put yourself in a situation like this. So even if you think that you are pious, you think you are very practicing, that you will never get involved in such a situation, no, be warned, because the devil knows how to drag you bit by bit to make you fall into that sin. The Prophet said in the hadith that whoever, whoever guarantees for me to guard what is between his jaws and what is between his legs, I guarantee paradise for him. Because the tongue that's between your jaws, if you protect it, you guard it from falling into sins, and you guard your private part from falling into these sins, the Prophet ﷺ is saying, I will guarantee paradise for you. People might be tempted with these two things, the tongue and the private part. So one has to be warned against these sins. So these sins, fornication, adultery, and sodomy, these are major sins. Islamically, the definition of fornication and adultery is to insert the glands penis into the vagina. That's the definition of zina. Sodomy is inserting the glands penis into the anus. That's the definition of sodomy. They call it in Arabic al-liwat. Those are two major sins. Why we explain it this way? Because some people falsely think if they see someone kissing a girl, they say they have fallen into zina. They have not fallen into that zina. That zina that is subject to a certain punishment in our religion is the definition that we define. But kissing, touching, being in a khalwa with a girl, these are introductions. These are haram sins, introductions to that major sin that is a zina as we defined it. So one needs to be cautious and monitor himself, his actions closely so he won't fall into the introductions of zina because the introductions will lead to that actual zina as we defined it. Because the devil, as we mentioned, has many ways to tempt people. You should fear for yourself from the devil. Look how many people were practicing Muslims and the devil managed to pull him away from religion. We know some people who used to wear the sunnah clothes most of the time and pray in congregation ended up in clubs. The devil will decorate for you the sins. Don't you know that even some people fall into the sin of committing sexual intercourse with animals? Yeah, you might look at it and you say, that's disgusting. How could they do this? Yeah, but the devil decorated it for them 
to the extent that they accepted it. They accepted it. That's what the devil does. وَزَيَّنَ لَهُمُ الشَّيْطَانُ أَعْمَالَهُمْ He decorates the sins for the sons of Adam so he can pull them into committing that sin. That's why the Prophet said once that the devil runs in the body of the son of Adam as the blood runs in his veins. Meaning he has many ways to work on many traps, many temptations. And he would use all of them just to deter you from the right path. The Prophet ﷺ told us about a person who abstained from the worldly pleasures and built, they call it hermitage. Hermitage is like a tent, tent-like building at the top of the mountain from clay. And he would go inside, pray, 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 and fast, and seclude himself from people, and dedicate his time to worshipping Allah. He secluded himself from people, and he dedicated his time to worshipping Allah, but he wasn't a scholar, he wasn't knowledgeable. And the Prophet mentioned in the hadith, just to cut it short, that in the end the devil kept on whispering to him, after three brothers left their sister who is way younger than that person with him as entrustment until they come back what did he do in the end the devil dragged him bit by bit span by span until he had khalwa with her stayed in that house with her alone then he committed fornication then she fell pregnant then he whispered to him, saying, what's going to happen for you when her brothers will come and see her in this way? Kill her and tell them that she died. They will believe you because you are a practicing Muslim. They will believe you. And he killed her. And he buried her in a fake grave. When they came after that and they asked about the sister, he told them she couldn't bear the longing for you and she was crying all the time. She became depressed and the like until she passed away. They believed him and he showed them the grave. On that same night when they slept, the devil came to them in their dreams and he told them, don't believe him. He did one, two, three. Then he buried her in that place. When they woke up the following day, everyone started saying, to his brother, I've seen a strange dream. Then they got the courage to talk to each other about the dream and it was the same dream. Some wanted to just ignore it, but one insisted and they said, let us check up. So they went to that grave, they dug it up and they found their sister killed, slaughtered and she was pregnant. Then they went to that person and they tied him up around a tree and they wanted to kill him. That was before this nation and the previous nations. Before they killed him, Satan appeared in front of him. And Satan said to him, 
I'm the one who saved you from one, two, three. And when in fact he's the one who dragged him to all these troubles, he said to him, prostrate to me and I will save you from them. So he nodded by his head, indicating that he worshipped the devil, and then they killed him. So he died as a Satan worshipper, as a blasphemer. He will be in hellfire forever. But you see how he dragged him. I didn't mention it in detail, just to cut it short. But if you read the story, you see how bit by bit he was working on him until he made him fall into that major sin. That's why you have to be aware of all these matters. Aware of all these matters. That's why you have to be aware of all these matters. Aware of all these matters. Also, for one to commit what is similar to sodomy with his wife, that is haram. That is haram. And the Prophet said in the hadith that Allah will degrade the one who has sexual intercourse with his wife in the back. So on the day of judgment, he will be degraded. But it's not true. That's why I want to warn you that as some people may think that if a husband does such a thing to his wife, she becomes divorced automatically. Some people say, no, it's haram. But it's not divorce. Also amongst the sins of the private part is masturbation. And for one to copulate with his wife while she's menstruating or in her postpartum bleeding period. That's haram. The blood causes harm to both. Allah Ta'ala said in the Quran, وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْمَحِيضِ قُلْ هُوَ أَذَنْ فَاعْتَزِلُ النِّسَاءَ فِي الْمَحِيضِ They ask you about menstruation, tell them, it's a harm. So let them stay away from their wives while they are menstruating. And this matter is known by consensus to be haram because there is a verse in the Quran and it's known by necessity to the extent that the scholars said whoever deems it permissible blasphemes because it's known by necessity and agreed upon by all the scholars of Islam to be forbidden. Even the scholars said after the menstruation terminates and after the postpartum bleeding terminates, one is still not allowed to have sexual intercourse with his wife until she has the purificated bath. So before having that purificated bath, he is not allowed to have intercourse with her. She has to have the purificated bath. Or if she were to have the purificated bath, but without the proper intention, you know, because that purificated bath needs a specific intention. Because when a lady is in her period, usually, let us say for seven days, yeah, she might have showers, Maybe every day, maybe day, day after day, let us say. But it's not with that intention of purifying herself from the state of major ritual impurity. But when the uh, menstruation terminates, 
that requires a shower, purificatory bath, with that specific intention, purifying herself of the state of major ritual impurity. Or, if she were to perform that purificatory bath, but while missing, washing a part of her body. So if, for instance, she's having nail polish, that nail polish would render the purificatory bath invalid because it prevents water from reaching a part to be washed. Or some of them now, they have fake eyelashes and they glue them. They glue them on the normal eyelashes and that glue will prevent water from reaching the eyelashes to be washed during the purificatory bath. Some of them may be wearing a nose stud and that nose stud, it covers part of the nose that needs to be washed when having the purificatory bath. So if they perform the purificatory bath in an invalid way, yes, still one is not allowed to have intercourse with his wife in that case until she does that purificatory bath in a proper valid way. Also amongst the sins of the private part is to uncover one's unlawful nakedness, we call it aura, in front of those who are prohibited to look at it. For instance, you want to do massage, you want to do massage as a lady and you go to a person who does massage and this person is not mahram to you and you uncover your body, the aura, that's haram. Or you as a man, you go to a lady and she touches you, there is no necessity in this case. He's not like a doctor. Now, there are certain cases the scholars mention, like for instance, a Muslim lady, a Muslim lady, if you were to go to a doctor, you look for a female first, not a male. If you cannot find a female, then you go to a male doctor. Or sometimes you, you might have a female doctor, but she's not an expert in that field. She's not a specialist in that field. So you don't find except a man to do this, then you go to a man. But if you go now for x-rays and the like, ultrasound, whatever, you can request. You as a lady, you say, I want a lady. And they have available. They have available, but they might say to you, you come tomorrow, come afternoon, come whatever. But there is an option. It's not blocked. All what you need is ask. So to uncover the prohibited nakedness in front of someone who is not allowed to look at it, that's forbidden. That is haram. That is haram and that is forbidden. For a man as well to uncover his prohibited nakedness in front of those who are not allowed to look at it is sinful as well. The prohibited nakedness of a man in front of another man and a woman, even if she is non-marriageable to him, is the area between the navel and the knees. The area between the navel and the knees. 
Some scholars said the sigh of the man is not part of the aura. And they relied on certain hadith of the Prophet They said the Prophet was sitting in a mosque and his sigh was uncovered. So part of his sigh was uncovered. Abu Bakr came in, he did not cover it. Then Umar came in, he did not cover it. Then Uthman came in, then he covered it. And they asked the Prophet and Abu Bakr came in, you did not cover it. Umar came in, you did not cover it. When Uthman came in, you covered it. And the Prophet replied, Because Uthman was known for being very bashful, shy. So that's why the Prophet covered his thigh in his presence. So some scholars relied on this hadith and they said, had it been part of the awrah, the Prophet wouldn't have uncovered in the presence of Abu Bakr and Umar. And some relied on another hadith. Although it's less authenticated, but it says the thigh is part of the awrah. The thigh is part of the awrah. So for one to be on the safe side, you cover the area between the navel and the knees. But if you see someone wearing shorts and uncovering his thigh, and he is following this mazhab, because there is one saying in Ahmad and one saying according to Malik, that it is not part of the awrah, the thigh. So if he is taken with that saying, you cannot object to him. Because if he says, I'm following this mazhab, yeah, you don't object to him in that case. However, you can advise him nicely by saying to him, yes, I know, but it's better to be on the safe side and to cover your side. So when you know the one who wants the precautionary way to be on the safe side, when there is a dispute between the scholars about something, he would take with what? The lenient saying or the strict saying? The strict saying. That's if he wants to be on the safe side. That is better. However, if he were to follow that saying, which is a bit lenient than that saying, he is not sinful. He is not sinful in that case. Unless you know someone who is Shafi'i, for instance, or Hanafi. Shafi'i and Hanafi, according to them, uncovering the thigh is forbidden for the man. So if you know someone who is following Shafi'i Mazhab or Hanafi Mazhab, if he uncovers his thigh while believing that it's part of the awrah, then he falls into a sin. Here you tell him that, I know you take with the saying that it is part of the awrah and now you are uncovering the awrah, that's haram, cover it. In that case. Also amongst the sins of the private part is to uncover one's unlawful nakedness while alone without a valid reason. Now a valid reason could be for medication. Let us say he got burnt and he needs to uncover the private parts to put the medicine. That's a reason. That's a valid reason. Someone in an area where it is very, very, very hot, so he uncovered his private part to cool down. That's a reason. That's a valid reason. When one is changing his clothes, that's a valid reason. 
When one is having shower, that's a valid reason. He's not sinful in that case. So when there is a valid reason, but if there is no valid reason for nothing, he cannot just choose to walk naked in the house, even if he's by himself. He is not allowed to do this. That's haram. He needs to have a valid reason. Also amongst the sins of the private parts is to face the qibla or turn one's back to it while urinating or defecating without placing a barrier between him and the qibla. The scholar said the barrier should be at least two-thirds of a cubit in height. Now that's the cubit from your fingertips to your elbow if it is every sized. So if you want to say two-thirds of it, two-thirds of it, that's the minimum height. And he should not be away from a more than three cubits. So if there is that barrier with these conditions, with these conditions, let us say, for instance, you are in a desert and you want to urinate or defecate and you are behind a tree. The tree is classified as a barrier. So then if you face the Qibla or turn your back to the Qibla while having this barrier behind you or between you and the Qibla, you are not sinful. But see, if you stay away from that tree, more than three cubits, that is haram, that is not sufficient. Or if there is something like, let us say, a little stone, little stone which is not two-thirds of a cubit in height, that is not sufficient. So the barrier should be two-thirds of a cubit in height, and you should not be away from it more than three cubits. If there is a barrier, then you are not sinful. We're talking about the open places. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, لا تستقبلوا القبلة ولا تستدبروها ببول ولا غائط بل شرقوا أو غربوا Do not face the Qibla or turn your back to Qibla while urinating or defecating. Rather, turn east or west. Because in that region, you know, in Medina, in Medina, the Qibla is towards what? South. The Qibla is south. So Medina is up there and Mecca is here. So if you pray, you pray south. So the Prophet said, Turn east or west. So if you turn east or west, you are away from that direction. But in the places that are prepared for such a thing, like toilets, you are not sinful if you were to face the Qibla or turn your back to the Qibla. Cubicles, let us say, or in a toilet that is designed for that thing. So then one is allowed in that case. Because some people, you hear about them in the old houses. Yeah, if they go into a house and they see the toilet, and they call it bidet in our country, and you see how it's that hole and it's directed towards Qibla, they change it. They make a big job to change it. They don't have to. It's not haram because that place is designed for such a thing and it's closed 
So it's not haram in that case. Also, to defecate or urinate on a grave, that is also forbidden. The Prophet said in the hadith, if one were to sit on a burning charcoal, then it burns his clothes, then it reaches his skin, and it burns his skin, that would be better for him than urinating or defecating on a grave. This is to show that if he were to be punished for that sin, it would be more severe than this. So one needs to take that into consideration. There is a hadith, or this hadith that I mentioned. In some hadith, it's not mentioned that term for urinating or defecating. The only term that is mentioned is to sit on a grave. But the scholars said what is meant by it is to sit for the purpose of urinating or defecating. Then that's what is haram. But to sit on a grave now is not haram. Just to sit on a grave is not haram. Unless, as in our country, they put tile, tile and they engrave on it some verses of the Quran. So you cannot sit on them. That's blasphemous to put your buttocks on the verses of the Quran. You can't do this. But just to sit on a grave, meaning on the soil, that is not forbidden, that is not haram. The hadith that refers to one sitting on a grave is interpreted as sitting on a grave for the purpose of urinating or defecating. That's what is forbidden. Also to urinate in a mosque, even if it was done in a container, or to urinate on an exalted object. If one were to urinate in a mosque, even in a container, in, in the olden days or in some parts of the world now, you have like a mosque, but there's no toilet close to it. It could be far away. It could be far away. So if one were to have a container and urinate in it while sitting in the mosque, that's haram. He is not allowed to. That is haram. Also, the scholars mentioned, and that's blasphemous. Some, they write some verses of the Quran with urine. And they say that's with the intention of seeking a cure. Unfortunately, it's mentioned in some books that they recite the Fatiha, they said, with urine a few times, and they use it to seek a cure. This is blasphemous, Billah. This is blasphemous. The scholars mentioned even that it's haram to write verses of the Quran with blood. They even mentioned it's haram to flick the pages of Mus'haf with your finger while putting saliva on it. So you take saliva and you put it on your finger and you start flipping the pages of the Mus'haf. So how about this matter that we are talking about? How could such people believe that one is allowed to write the verses of the Quran with najasa wal-ayyazu billah? That's haram. Some who work with sorcery 
would do such acts, they write some verses of the Quran with najasa, seeking the help from the devil. So they commit kufr, they write the verses of the Quran with urine and the like, to seek help from the devils. Also amongst the sins of the private part is to, for the pubescent to neglect circumcision. Unless according to Imam Malik it's not an obligation. Rather it is a recommendation according to him. That's why when you learn this case, just to keep it in mind. Because some people might be very strict in this matter to the extent that if they know of a convert, someone who converted to Islam, a man, and he starts praying, then they start being strict on him. And they say, oh, you need to be circumcised. He might not be familiar with this. He might repel away from religion if you were to talk to him about these matters. So keep in mind, according to Imam Malik anhu, it's not an obligation, it's a recommendation. So you do not show strictness with this person regarding this matter. Leave him. If he chooses to do it later on, it's up to him. But do not be strict on him in that matter. Now we move on to talk about the sins of the foot. Amongst the sins of the foot are to walk towards committing a sin, such as walking to incite the ruler to inflict unjust harm on a believer or the like, or to walk to kill a Muslim unrightfully, or to commit adultery or fornication, or to steal and the like. That walking, why they mentioned it here amongst the sins of the foot, because just walking is a sin on its own. The Prophet wasallam said in the hadith, وَالرِّجْلُ تَزْنِي وَزِنَاهَ الْخُطَى So literally it means the leg falls into the sin of zina and its sin is the steps it makes. The steps it makes. Meaning if someone, let us say, made a date with a girl to fornicate with her and let us say he walked that distance then he waited for her in that place then she didn't show up she told him I got busy I'm unable to come Islamically he fell into that sin of walking to commit that sin so although he didn't commit it but he fell into the sin of walking towards committing that sin. Same, for instance, if someone got the password for a safe to steal it, then he climbed the pipes, he opened the window, he went inside, and he put that pin for the safe, but the pin didn't work. The owner changed that pin. He is sinful for what? He didn't steal. But he is sinful for all these actions. Why I'm telling you this? Because can you believe a group of deviants? And they are famous in Lebanon and some parts of the world. They call them Hizb al-Tahrir. 
Hezb tahrir They claimed that when you walk to commit a sin, you are not sinful unless you commit that sin. So in the cases that I mentioned, they do not classify this as a sin. And the Prophet said clearly that legs fall into the sin of zina and the sin is when they walk to commit the zina. These steps they make, that's the zina, that's the haram. That's what is meant by it. Also, for someone without an excuse, like for a wife to leave her husband, for no excuse, she got bored of him. So she left him, she left the children, she doesn't want to fulfill the obligations, she is sinful for that. Or vice versa, the husband got bored of his wife and children, so he left his wife and children and he traveled to another country, he doesn't want to look after them, support them with the obligatory sustenance, that's a major sin. The Prophet said, كَفَى بِالْمَرْءِ إِثْمًا أَنْ يُضَيِّعَ مَنْ يَعُولُ وَفِي رِوَايَ مَنْ يَقُوتُ It's sufficient for that person to have that sin only, to deserve to be tortured in the hereafter, which is not to pay the obligatory sustenance to those who are dependent on him like his wife and children, even his parents who are poor. You know, it happens, why are we mentioning this? Like a person may reach a stage where he chooses not to support his poor parents with the obligatory sustenance. He might have wife, children, parents, and he's working and he's managing. He's managing to provide them with that sustenance, but because he's working hard, the devil might whisper to him and make him repel away from fulfilling this obligation. Also to walk arrogantly with a strutting gait. Some people when they walk, as if he's like that rooster, you know, when, or peacock or whatever, they show arrogance. Allah Ta'ala said in the Qur'an وَلَا تُصَعِّرْ خَدَّكَ لِلنَّاسِ وَلَا تُصَعِّرْ خَدَّكَ لِلنَّاسِ Do not turn your cheek to people out of arrogance. Some people, when you talk to them, he doesn't even look at you. He just uh, gets satisfied giving you part of his cheek to see this part only. Why out of arrogance? The Prophet وسلم, who is the best of all the creations, anyone who would call him, he wouldn't even وسلم, turn only by his face, rather he would turn by his full body. No matter who is talking to him, someone is talking to him, yeah, he would turn fully by his body to listen to that person. That's the best of the creations. But some people, they walk in this arrogant way, and that is haram. And the Prophet ﷺ mentioned about someone who was from the, in the past, in the previous nations, 
was walking with arrogance, with arrogance and showing off and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroyed him by making the earth split and make him slide into that opening, in that slide. So, and the Prophet sallallahu said, he will continue sinking in it until the day of judgment. That's the arrogance. We ask Allah to protect us from being such people. Also to step over the shoulders of people who are sitting in the mosque, like on Friday, except if they do not get harmed, or he's doing so to fill a gap. The Prophet ﷺ was once giving the khutbah on Friday. Then he saw someone coming into the mosque and he was stepping over their shoulders. You know, when one tries to step over their shoulders, would hit one here and one there. The Prophet, while being on the member, on the pulpit, said to that person, sit down, you have harmed others. So in the khutbah, he told him, sit down, you have harmed others. So that's haram. They said, the scholars said, if let us say, the mosque was in a way, where the access is from the back, for instance, and the first line, they still have gaps. So someone came, he saw some gaps at the front, so he crossed over the shoulders to reach that gap to fill it. He's not sinful in that case. But if there is no gap, he came late, it's all full, packed, but he wanted to sit at the front. It's packed, it's full. And he started crossing over, stepping over the shoulders and harming them. That's haram. Also to pass in front of the person performing prayer if the conditions of the barrier placed in front of one's prayer are fulfilled. So here, the same as we mentioned in that barrier. At least two-thirds of a cubit in height. And he's not far away from it, more than three cubits. Like see these poles here in the mosque, that is classified as a barrier. Islamically, it is recommended to have a barrier when you pray. So you do not see one like in, when you go to the mosque even, it's open. And if you pray outside the mosque, it's open. So it's recommended to have a barrier. Get anything and put it. You might put a stick in front of you. You might put your bag, let us say, in front of you. That would be a barrier. You don't have, put the prayer mat. That would do. If you are praying on the sand or like soil and you don't have anything, make a line by your finger in front of you so no one would pass between you and that line. So when you have a barrier, two-thirds of a cubit in height and more, and you are not far away from it, more than three cubits, it's haram in that case for someone to pass in between, between you and that barrier. It's haram. The Prophet said in the hadith, if the one who passes in front 
of the one who is praying and there is a barrier with conditions, if he knows what kind of sin he falls into, then he would prefer to wait 40 years and not cross in between. And the scholar said, when there is a barrier in front of you and someone is about to cross between you and that barrier, it is recommended for you to push him away. Put your hand like this to prevent him. Try to prevent him from crossing. That's recommended. But if there is no barrier at all, you don't push people when they cross in front of you. You didn't choose to have that barrier. It's disliked not to have a barrier. It affects the reward of your prayer. You will have less rewards in that case. So it's recommended to have a barrier. Also to extend the leg towards the book of the Quran. If it is not in a raised location and you are close to it. Like for instance someone is sitting on the couch and he extended his leg and it's facing the Mus'haf. The Mus'haf is on the table close to him, not far away, close to him and it's not elevated, then that is haram. In some houses, you know how they put, for instance, Ayat al-Kursi. They put Ayat al-Kursi but it's uh, elevated. So someone is sitting on the ground, on the carpet, he's extending his legs, but the ayah is up there, that's disliked. It's not haram in that case, because it's not direct on it, on the same level. It's not on the same level. If it is on the same level and it's close, that's haram. That is haram in that case. But it's not haram, to extend your legs in the direction of Qibla. Some people make a big issue if they see someone sitting down, extending his legs towards the Qibla. That's not haram. You are allowed to stand on the Kaaba and pray. Even the scholars talked about praying on the Kaaba. And they have rules, like you find chapters in their books, praying on the Kaaba, praying inside the Kaaba, uh, where to stand. So you can stand on the Kaaba and you face any direction you want because they have like kind of small wall all around on the top so you can face any one of them. So if that is permissible, what about extending your legs towards Qibla? That's permissible as well. And same sometimes you find some prayer mats like these ones. They have like a shape of a mosque on them. So you can stand on them as well. It's not forbidden. But not the new prayer mats I've seen, and someone was, I've seen this video on Facebook. Ignorance, ignorance would make people unaware to differentiate between what is right and what is wrong. Some made like a prayer mat, or they said this is for converts. And they put the instructions, what to say in the prayer, and it's all written from top to bottom. So one will be standing on, let us say, they say in Ruku'a, say Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim, and they have that word written. Or Allahu Akbar, say 
So when one is standing, will be standing on these glorified names. That's from the ignorance. Also, every walking towards committing an unlawful matter or abandoning an obligation is classified from the sins of the foot as well. So you are going to do something haram, that walk is forbidden. You are walking because you are abandoning what is an obligation, then that is haram as well. So by this we conclude talking about these two chapters, sins of the private parts and sins of the foot. Inshallah, we'll talk about the sins of the body in general. Now after we talked about the sins of each part, the scholars would talk about the sins of the body in general because those sins are not restricted to one body part or one organ. Rather, it could be done by involving more than one organ. That's why the scholars put them in that category, the sins of the body. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those who listen and follow the best instructions and lead by example. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those who avoid sinning and die as righteous Muslims. Ameen and Allah knows best. We say la ilaha illallah and make salah on the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.